Two men, different backgrounds. One was a cop, one was a con man. They now come together as friends to discuss a variety of topics and interview fascinating guests. They're not trying to change your mind, just open it. Welcome to the Pros and Cons Podcast. Welcome to the Pros and Cons Podcast. My name is Steve Webster, and on the other end of the microphone, in a different microphone, is my friend and partner, Michael Perez. Say hey to everybody, Mike. Hey, everybody. How's it going? This is actually our initial podcast. We hope to have several more coming down the road, and very little background on why we're doing this and what we hope to achieve. We come from different places, clearly. I was a police officer. And Michael Perez has been to prison a couple times. <laughs> but that doesn't mean that we don't have light goals at this point in our lives. And we hope to take our combined experiences and bring something good to the world. We're going to talk about leadership. We're going to talk about fraud, how to prevent fraud. How about second chances? We're going to talk about second chances as well. And I met Mike many years ago at this point. What was it? 2018 2018 I yeah i think it was 2018 uh, down in miami and i'm not gonna lie it was the first time he spoke publicly nervous as all get out oh, but yeah. he did a good job <laughs> you know he did a good job and that was the beginning of what i'd like to think is a great friendship and i respect this man more than i respect a lot of other people i can tell you that right now and i trust him more than i trust most people because as He's you like listen what? to these you'll realize i am not a huge fan of humans at this point there were some <laughs> good ones there are some bad ones but we're going to do this thing together so i i think what we'd like to do on this first podcast is just kind of introduce you to us we do have another member of our team and his name is Eric, but he kind of hides in the shadows because that's what he did for a long time. He worked for the government, CIA, yeah. but he will raise his head up when it's necessary and he brings a wealth of information. And we'll get to how we got to this point. Uh, we will speak publicly. We will educate. We will do a lot of things. And if you want to learn more about us, I can tell you that the website that we have is unchained-leadership.com. You're going to notice that we may speak a little bit differently. I don't think that I have a huge accent, but I am from this place called Maine. It's actually a state. Um, people, when I tell them <laughs> I'm from Maine, they say, what state is that in? Uh, it's way up in the Northeast, about two hours from Boston. And Mike was born and raised in Miami. So you talk about two people from two different, two different worlds. Well, Opposite that's ends. Yeah. And Mike has, uh, Mike has had his struggles, and he's going to tell you about those. Because I think he will be the first to admit that at this point in his life, his his life has not only changed considerably, but I think his outlook has changed because of where he grew up, how he grew up in his circumstances. He ended up committing some crimes. And like most people that commit crimes, he got caught eventually. But that doesn't mean he's a bad person. I've always said there are good people that do bad things and bad people that do bad things. And Mike is a very good person. He's a family man. He has an outstanding family. And that's one of the things that kind of drew me to him is I didn't really care about what he'd done in the past. He paid his dues to society. There's no doubt about that, but he loves his family and he takes very good care of them. So without going on for too long, 
Let me turn it over to Michael Perez, my friend, and he's going to give you a little background on who he is and how he got to this point. So go ahead, Mike. I want to thank everybody for listening and taking interest in the story that I'm about to share with you. My intentions are to share my stories on how I committed crimes, what led me to commit these crimes, and how I eventually turned my life around. I need to be brutally honest in order for me to get my message across. Otherwise, if I minimize my actions and what I did, it's not going to have any effect. But that doesn't mean I'm unremorseful. I was born in the 80s to Cuban immigrants, and I grew up in a low-income neighborhood. In this neighborhood, when most of us, all we would do is we would just scheme and plan on how we're going to get some better food or get something nice for us. That was the way we grew up. That was our mentality. And I feel like we took that into our adulthood by just looking at opportunities, even if there were crimes. Our point of view was this is a business, regardless of it being illegal or not. We just hang out and just discuss what opportunities were available to make money like this is a new thing going on. Or they're growing weed in Colorado. They're shipping packages from California. And we would just say, okay, is it worth it? Is it, is it are we going to make some money? Yeah, let's go ahead. We try it. We fail 90% of the time. And I was able to be successful at least at accomplishing the skimming and gas stations in 2015. The way I started was I had a childhood friend of mine, same thing, we're gathered up and he told me, hey, this is what's going on now. This is the new thing and people are making a lot of money doing this. You have a background in technology and you know how to work with the electronics. Maybe you could start building some skimmers and if you start building them, I have them sold for like 4,500 at a time. And I had just come off of probation, moved out. I was living on my own, finally, with my family. And I had a business that involved cell phone repair. That wasn't going good for me. And I said, well, you know what? Let me see. Maybe if I could make a little bit of money with a skimming, it could help me provide for my real business. And I could fund it that way. So the deal between me and him was that I was going to build skimmers. He was in a sell them. He already had them sold. He had a bunch of people to sell these skimmers to. And what we're going to bring to the table to these potential buyers was that at the time, there wasn't a lot of Bluetooth skimmers. The usual skimmers around, you would have to plug them in and you had to go back and retrieve them. So I ordered some portable Bluetooth Magstripe readers from Alibaba, some gas station readers from eBay for about $10 a piece. And I got to work. I started soldering in a couple of days. I had a working skimmer. So I called my buddy up and I told him, hey, listen, I got your skimmers. I had made like three or four of them. We didn't sell uh, skimmers for like three months. And when we finally sold one, the sale was between like me, him and some other guy. That's how our deal went from I'm just going to create the skimmers, sit back at home, collect the cash to, OK, this isn't going to work. But I knew there's money to be made here. I could potentially be a millionaire if I do it right. In order for me not to let this opportunity go to waste, I figured I'm going to have to go all the way. That's when I just started installing skimmers, printing cards, driving up the states, going from state to state and installing skimmers, pulling out cash, stealing fuel, the whole nine yards, everything well, you could think Michael, of. Michael, why don't you take just a second for our listeners, because some of them probably were saying... What's a skimming thing? Just explain to them what card skimming is. 
So pretty much there's different type of skimmers. And the ones I was making, you pretty much would place them inside the gas station pump. You would attach it to the gas pump's car reader and it would collect the data you need in order to clone a max stripe card or a credit card or a debit card. And it would save this data on a memory chip on the skimmer so that you could come back later on and collect information. I was doing it with Bluetooth. I had it set up so that I could just pull up to the gas station and download information by simply parking next to the pump where the skimmer was installed. And then with that information, I could clone a card by loading that information onto a blank card, printing the card with templates of banks I created on Photoshop, and then go cash out. So when somebody uses their card at a gas station, they could inadvertently be sticking that into a pump that has a skimming device in there. And you just take all that information that's on there, go recreate the card or clone it, as you say, and just go charge the heck out of it. And the next thing they know, they're getting a bill for several thousand dollars. And they're like, well, I never got gas at that place. And it's very prevalent in Florida, correct? I mean, for us, it started here in South Florida. But most people who were doing this for a living out of Miami, Florida, it would usually leave Florida. But a lot of the operations are ran from Florida. And there's now, like in the Cuban skimming community, they're very strong in Texas. Cities where they grow weed, pretty much like Denver, Colorado, parts of California, at least the Cuban community that's involved with credit card skimming are going to be there. But the Cuban skimming hub is pretty much here in Miami, Denver, and in Houston, Texas. Yeah, it seems like it's it's on the, I mean, it's everywhere. I think we know that. But for the most part, it's most prevalent in these southern states like Florida, Texas, Nevada, Southern California. Yeah. But the, they can install these devices anywhere. So people just need to be aware of that. And that was a very good description of it. And you, you you said that you thought maybe you could make a million dollars. How did that work out for you? <laughs> the most I had in my hand at one point was like 30 grand. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and you got caught. Oh, yeah. I got yeah. caught. It took me a while to get to the point that I could actually retrieve keypad entries. That way I could collect PIN numbers, zip codes, or driver IDs for fleet cards. And it took me about a couple of months. And... What ended up happening is that down the line, once I started actually making a good amount of money, like anywhere from 12 to 14 grand a month, the guys that I was working with were just sucking everything out of me. They were just taking money here and there because you can't do it by yourself. You have to have people go in there and pull out cash, do money orders, do gift cards, stuff like that. And, and they would steal from the retail stores and from me. So it was hard for me to make those 30 grand in one shot. And when I hit the 30 grand, finally, I was so backed up on bills and the lifestyle that I was living, like paying for so much stuff, that money went away quicker than what I made it. Like in three months, it was gone. So when I, they showed up to my house, when they arrested me, I had no money. <laughs> yeah. I don't have a dollar. Yeah, you, you weren't one of those guys driving around in a Lamborghini with gold chains hanging off your neck. You were basically just trying to support your family. And, yeah, uh, I was just trying to give my family a good lifestyle. <clears throat> we had a nice house. It wasn't owned, but we rented a nice house. And we had a decent car. And that's it, pretty much. I would spend most of my money with my wife and my kids. I would take them out to eat and have barbecues and stuff like that. That's what I was spending my money on. And, and of we, course, credit card fraud equipment. Um, more well, yes, more equipment. It was, it was expensive. And if 
people that are listening haven't realized this already, you are, in my humble opinion, brilliant. Thank you. Uh, you are one of the smartest, but you also started working on computers when you were, what, eight years old? Yeah. Self-taught, never went to college. You are just one of those people that is brilliant and you have a natural curiosity. So you figure things out. Yeah. And if it weren't for you, we wouldn't be having this podcast because <laughs> I am quite a bit older and I'm lucky I can check my emails at this point and you do it all for me. But you did eventually get caught and you were, I guess we could say, what, given an opportunity? Yeah. To... Opportunity of a lifetime. I mean, you weren't going to snitch, that terrible word, you know. You didn't really have to because you were kind of doing your own thing. But what was that opportunity that you were given to hopefully help yourself? So when they served the warrant on my house, they already pretty much had everything covered. They had all the guys I was involved with, well, most of them. And again, it was like a network of people who knew about each other and we, they, they pretty much had our network covered Secret Service with Miami-Dade. Did one of the biggest buses in South Florida. And the main agent in charge of the, my case, he was at another place serving a warrant. And they just sent me straight to the county jail. <laughs> they didn't want to hear anything. They saw my sophisticated lab. And what ended up happening was that I reached out to my lawyer. And I told my lawyer, I said, hey. I had a pretty good lab and I had a really good operation that I ran myself. Can we reach out to them to see if they're interested in me offering my advice for what I did? Because I don't think it's something normal. And he tried and reaching out and about a year later, my lawyer gives me a call and tells me, listen, you're going to get indicted officially. And, you know, that's, that's what's going to happen. You're going to go to prison for probably eight years. And that's it. I told him, listen, tell him not to come to my house again with guns blazing. I'm going to turn myself in. And we set up a date. And I met the agent in charge of my case at the time. Um, he offered me to, to do this. To Rather than simply snitching on people, I could educate and educate help. Educate law enforcement and exactly. merchants on how, how this crime is committed. And, and in doing that they can take steps to prevent those losses. Yeah. The way he explained it to me was, this is going to help a lot better than if we tried to reinsert you back into that life. Nothing good is going to come out of that, but this will have a stronger impact in the long run and you will have a better effect by doing this rather than the other route. And he told me, I have to get an approval before we could proceed. And once I get the approval, we'll see. I waited a couple months and... We finally got approved for me to speak for my first time at Secret Service headquarters in Miami, and that's where I met you. And I think in the interest of transparency, we should probably throw out there that the reason why they said you were looking at eight years in federal prison is because you did have a prior federal conviction for, was it healthcare fraud? Healthcare fraud, yeah. So that put my sentencing guidelines about 12 months higher because it was my second time offense, but the loss amount was what really put me up there. They retrieved about 35 or 3,800 numbers of card numbers. And based off that loss amount, it caused my guidelines to shoot up to that level. Plus, of course, the second time, it um, added an extra 12 months. 
And for the people that are listening that don't understand the federal sentencing guidelines, uh, they're very complicated. Um, they look at your prior convictions. They basically, it's a bunch of numbers, basically. And they look at your prior convictions. They look at where you're the ringleader. They look at dollar amounts. Yep. Did you accept responsibility? That's the government's way of saying pleading guilty. Yep. So they look at all these factors, come up with a number, and your guidelines are between a certain amount of months. You know, like in your case, it would have been between say, you know, 52 and 71 months or whatever. Yeah. Just, just an example. But, I think over uh, like a 74 and higher. <laughs> yeah. Well, you when I did the math, it was going to be accepting responsibility, doing everything. It was going to be around eight and a half years. Yeah. But you didn't end up doing all that time. And, no. And we did meet in Miami in 2018. But why don't we take a quick break? Because I think people have a pretty good handle already on who Michael Perez is, but we're going to talk a little bit more about it after we come back from this break. If you're intrigued by what Steve and Mike have to say, please check out their website, unchained-leadership.com. They offer unique and specialized services from consulting to public speaking. Add a former CIA officer to the team and you have a certain skill set that you or your company might be able to use. That website, again, is unchained-leadership.com. All right, Steve. So everybody's heard my story. Now let's hear yours. Well, luckily, I am very grateful that mine does not include any prison time. <laughs> but as I said earlier, I grew up in the great state of Maine. And it's kind of odd because I did not like school at all. I didn't really apply myself. So when I was 17 years old, I joined the Army. I was on the delayed entry program. So the day I graduated, I knew where I was going and spent some time in the military and then ended up being a police officer and spent 30 years with the South Portland Police Department in South Portland, Maine. Portland is the largest city in Maine, but I tell people there are small towns in Massachusetts that have more people in Portland, but it's a great place to raise a family and grow up. And I had a lot of great opportunities, kind of worked my way up from patrol officer to detective. My favorite time as a police officer was being a drug agent. I did that for five, five and a half years and ended my career as the supervisor within the detective bureau. So I saw a lot of things, but here's the interesting part. I don't think I did one fraud case in 30 years. I, mean, <laughs> I dealt with mostly violent crime and overdoses and robberies and things like that. So I finally retired in 2017 and got a job with what we'll call a payment processing company based in Maine. And in the interest of remaining professional, I no longer work there, and we'll leave it at that. But they hired me to do physical security, which I will be the first to admit I knew nothing about. <laughs> but because they have gas cards or fleet cards, as they're called, you know, like any other company, they were losing a lot of money to card skimming, which I didn't even know what card skimming was. But I decided to educate myself because they asked me to help the fraud unit at the time. And... One of my first trips was to Miami, where I met some of the folks from Miami-Dade and the Secret Service. They were the ones investigating the cases. And to make a long story very short, I got really good at the skimming stuff in a short amount of time. 
Yeah, fast. Uh, but I think it's like anything else in life. It's all about building relationships. And I went from from Miami. The next week, I think I was in Texas. And I'm sure we'll have some of those folks on this podcast at some point because they were like the knife's edge at that point. They were very, very proactive with the skimming stuff in eastern Texas. And eventually, that led me to Miami where I saw you speak. And like anything else, you know, most things happen at the hospitality room after the, you know, yeah. it's just the way it is. And little did I know the gentleman that I was speaking to was the secret service agent that arrested you <laughs> and brought you in to yeah. speak to this. There were, geez, there were probably what, 150, 200 people in that room. Yeah. And it was the first time you spoke publicly and it was obvious that you were very nervous but just hearing your story was pretty fascinating. And I said, you know, we got to bring that guy on the road. And over the next several years, we got to know each other quite well because we ended up going, uh, putting on seminars in, oh, geez, there's so many states. All over, I forget. <laughs> it's Florida, a lot. <laughs> Texas, California. Uh, I think we were in Arizona. There, there were quite a few. And they were very, very successful. And... There's nothing, I've always said, there's nothing better than hearing how a crime is committed than by the person that committed that crime. You know, it's, I just think you're a wealth of knowledge, but I was also impressed with your honesty. And we both have to admit that you didn't always get some warm welcome. Oh, no. Because there were some asshats that, <laughs> you know, oh, he shouldn't be getting lunch and what's he doing here? And I'm like, really? He's here to help you. But I think that your demeanor and the way you handled yourself just kind of, you know, set most of them at ease. And the next thing you know, you're in high demand. Yeah. But that demand went away for a little while because you went away for a little I while. I went away, yeah. Um, you and a did end up going. I mean, you, you got a little bit lucky because of this COVID yeah, thing. I did, yeah. Um, I did. But you did go to a federal prison down in Miami for, uh, what was you there, a couple of years? I was there for eighteen months. Yeah, and then you, but then you were on what house arrest and halfway house, yeah. house arrest after. But you paid <laughs> your dues to society, and but even though you were in prison, we still stayed in touch. Yeah, um, yeah, you guys were the guys I was talking to all the time, <laughs> and I thought and my it wife was, and kids and you guys. <laughs> I mean, you can speak to this probably on a different podcast, but I am I am convinced in my feeble mind that one of the reasons why you kind of changed your outlook on life and you are doing so well is because instead of being surrounded by an environment of people who are stealing and ripping other folks off, you were surrounded by people that were just the opposite, that wanted to help people and wanted to prevent the crimes. And I don't think to this day that you want to let me or any of those other police officers that are now your friends, I don't think you want to let them down or let your family down again. And so, again, I could be wrong, but I don't think so. And I really admire that about you. So, so I mean, me, I lost my job, whatever it happens. Um, but it was a mutual friend of ours who said, well, that's okay. You know, you have a wealth of experience and knowledge and, and Michael Perez has the same thing. It just, you know, 
two guys from different places, but if you go out together, maybe you can make a difference. And that's when we decided to to start this company called Unchained Leadership and Consulting. Hopefully, good things are going to happen for you because mm-hmm. I'm not going to work for the next 20 years. It's just not going to happen. But I want you to have that opportunity to show people, hey, here I am, you know. I am who I am. Yeah, I've made mistakes, but I'm here to help you. And I think it was when you spoke in Boston last year in front of all those people. You know, here I am. You know, I, I was still gainfully employed at that point, if you will. And I stood up in front of all those people and I said, I trust that guy right there more than I trusted a lot of the police officers I worked with because you have never lied to me. You're very upfront. And hell, even when you get caught, it was the first thing you did. Yeah, I did it. Yeah, I did it. <laughs> I did it. Thank God it's over. <laughs> the guy was like, really? It's over? I mean, you knew you were going to get arrested and you're still so calm? Yeah, I was waiting for you guys to come on. It's about time. <laughs> yeah, so, so, you know, that has always impressed me about you. And I've always said, I'm just a guy, you know, but I don't care who you are. If you were a police officer for 30 years, You've seen some things, you've done some things, you've dealt with some really crappy situations. And if you don't have life experience, then you didn't put much into your job. Yeah. And and if I can take that life experience and my passion, I told you earlier that you know I wasn't a huge fan of high school and I wasn't, but I ended up going back to school later in life and I ended up getting my master's degree in leadership when I was in my 40s because mm-hmm. I think it's such a passion for me because I've worked for some real terrible so-called leaders and I just didn't want to be like them. And if I can, you know, take the the mistakes that I've made, because I've always said that most success, the, the foundation of that is usually failure. You have to fail before you can succeed. And I think we've both done our fair share of that. Yeah. But I want to take our collective experiences and talk about second chances. I mean, you've been given not only a second, but a third chance. Yep. But you're not going to blow it this time. I'm convinced of it. I think you're going to do well because you've seen the light on the other side and you're willing to put in the work. And And people should know you work now. You work a regular job and you work a lot of hours But this is where you can give back. So instead of taking from anybody, you're going to give back. And you're going to give back with the passing on of the mistakes that you've made. Yeah. So I want to go back to the whole learning experience I had by being around you guys while I was on bond before I went to prison. To me, that was my true rehabilitation that had a bigger impact on me than prison did. And don't get me wrong, I needed the prison time. I needed to know once again, what it felt like to be in prison, what it felt like to have my freedom taken away from me, how it felt like not to be around my family and have to pay the consequences for my actions. It actually made me feel better because I said, okay, well, at least I paid my dues now. I just didn't get away scot-free. I don't think that I would have respect for myself if I would have just done this and not done my time for it. But the main thing that changed my perspective was like you said, I wasn't hanging around with scumbags anymore. I was hanging around with people who had a different perspective. I was able to see how the corporate world works. I never saw that before. I had no idea how it worked. Had I known they worked that way, I probably would have never gotten involved in fraud. I mean, so, but um, 
And that's what helped me have being around mentors and people who actually were good people. And I feel like at the end of the day, we had similar goals in what we wanted in life. Just I took a different path to try and accomplish those goals. You guys were maybe, I don't know, bright enough or had more intuition than I did at the time and went the right route. And so that's one of the things that I always think about when I look back. No, no, you're right. I mean, it's, I think we're all one mistake away from prison. Hell, you know, that's, like I said, there's some good people that do bad things and bad people that do bad things, but you've managed to turn your life around. But I think that this very small core group of people that you worked with on a regular basis, they, to the person, they all did and still treat you with respect and didn't oh, yeah. look down on you. It was even, though, even though some other people did. Yeah, but, you know, I would just hear them out during the presentations whenever I was speaking and then avoided them on our calls. So, <laughs> yeah. 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 World's full of jerks. We know that. But, but hopefully something good is going to come out of this collaboration because, again, we come from two different worlds. But I think we both have the same goals at the end of the day. So that's a little bit about me. I did write a book and that's on the website as well, but I, I'm more of a storyteller than a writer just because I have a lot of stories to tell. And I will incorporate some of those in the, the podcasts coming down the road. And we hope that people enjoy these, hope that they get something out of them. This is us talking about us at this point, but I think you have to build that foundation so people know at least who we are. So if we have another guest on and... You know, we don't explain something. Well, because they know we're just kind of common, average, everyday people, and we're not that bright. Well, maybe you are, but I'm not. But we want to have fun with it, make a difference. And if if one thing strikes a chord in somebody, if one person out there who was thinking about committing a crime listens to this and says, "Well, if Michael Perez can do it, I can do it. I just need to turn my life around," you yep. know, then yeah, yep. they can do it. So let's take another quick break. We'll come back. We'll wrap things up. And uh, and that's about all I got for right now. But we'll come back in just a second. Is your company vulnerable to fraud? If so, who better to tell you how to minimize or prevent it than someone who used to commit it? Mike Perez of Unchained Leadership and Consulting has turned his life around after paying his dues to society, and he is now giving back by speaking to others about fraud prevention. Interested? Contact us at unchained-leadership.com. All right, Steve. So now that our listeners finally have a little bit of our backgrounds, I want to conclude this by thanking everyone once again for listening. We plan on sharing most of our stories we plan on speaking on fraud events that are happening and fraud events that have happened in the past. Also, if you're listening and you have any questions, feel free to reach out to through our website. Maybe we could discuss this on a future podcast. Um, hoping that our listeners can gain some knowledge on how to prevent themselves from being defrauded in so many different ways. Yeah, I think this is going to be a multidimensional podcast. We're not going to get stuck on one topic. I mean, obviously, as terrible as it sounds... Your background is in fraud. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's it's as simple as that. But we do need to talk about fraud, fraud prevention. We'll bring on some guests that are still combating that out there, whether it's law enforcement or fraud analysts from companies that I do still deal with. 
But we also want to talk about leadership. We want to talk about those second chances. And we'll have some folks on that have been given that second chance. Because I believe personally that you and I, we can't save anybody. We just can't. But I've always felt that anybody out there, any human being, can give someone the opportunity to help themselves. And it's up to them to seize that opportunity. And hopefully we'll talk about things like that and, and how to treat somebody when, when the chips are down and they're down on their luck. It's just two guys having conversations with other people. We're not always going to agree, but that's okay. I think getting those different perspectives is important. But at the end of the day, we both have the common goal of wanting to help people, just yeah. to help people in one way or another. And hopefully that's what this podcast will will consist of. So having said that, I mean, it, it's actually been pretty fun. I'm not going to lie. I mean, it's. I think we both overthought this first yep. episode too much, and <laughs> we didn't have to. When we have spent so much time just talking all over the country that it's pretty natural for us to have a conversation. So I think that's all we're going to do from now on. We're going to have a conversation, and we may bring some other folks in to chat with us, but it's just two guys talking about topics that impact a lot of people. And if we can get something out there that gets people thinking, that's all we want them to do is think about things. I don't care if they agree with me, but just think about it. And between the this podcast, the website, the uh, I, I also do some blogs that I throw on the uh, a website about leadership and things like that. We do offer speaking engagements, furthering education, fraud prevention. I mean, we're like, hell, we can do anything, Michael. We can, you know, if we can't do it, we can figure out how. At least you can. So personally, I would like to thank everybody that actually listened to this and let you know this is the first of many. We plan on having a lot more podcasts, spreading the word. And if you're interested in learning more about us, Take a minute and go to unchained-leadership.com. Any final words, Michael, before we split? No, that'll be all. Mike and I would like to thank you for joining us on the Pros and Cons podcast. We sure hope you'll join us for future episodes. If you have a specific topic you'd like us to discuss, send us an email. I can be reached at Steve at unchained-leadership.com. That's Steve at unchained-leadership.com. Stay safe and dream big.